Welcome to the Cover Two Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover Two Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Over 6 million people in the U.S. are in prisons or under community control and they face a number of barriers on their re-entry into society, employment being one of the biggest. Research suggests that employment is an important aspect in ensuring ex-offenders don't become repeat offenders, and employment is a critical part of most ex-convicts re-entry into society. A National Institute of Justice study found at least 60% of ex-offenders are still unemployed a year after release and ex-offenders are half as likely to get a callback from prospective employers. And worse yet, one in six Ohioans has a misdemeanor or felony conviction. So in our state, that problem is and challenge is daunting. Even though excluding ex-convicts eliminates a large portion of the workforce, most employers still do it today. So I'm happy to say we're going to be talking today to Brandon Krastowski, who is on a mission to change the face of reentry in the United States. In 2007, he founded Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute. His belief that every human being, regardless of their past, has a right to a fair and equal future is what drove the creation of Edwin's. So, Brandon, welcome. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Okay. So, you know, the opioid epidemic, it's been going for more than 20 years. And, you know, we just figured out that we can't arrest our way out of this. Mm -hmm. So now more people are being released from prison onto our streets just about daily. Um, And they're willing to do just about anything to to get a second chance. But there's very few people that that are happy to do that and go along with that. But you're the exception. Why is that? Why is this so personal and so important to you? Yeah. Just to touch on the, the first part of that question, that that, um, that opioid epidemic, if it goes back before, I mean, this goes back to China in the, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago. This is a big problem that's, that's been occurring, you know, worldwide. Really, our nation has been struck by it um, since, since the early 1900s. But, I mean, you talk about now with fentanyl, it's just, it's just exploded. But I just want to touch on that before answering that, that question. It's, it, we're, we're in a big mess right now. The increase has multiple reasons for it. But... It's something the world struggled with uh, for a long time, um, you know, uh, you know, heroin and, and opiates and something. But nonetheless, it, what what has uh, really brought me to this this table of giving, the, you know, and offering fair and equal opportunities is, is is I was one of them, if you want to call it them, right? I was one of those. I was one of the, uh, the discounted. I was one of the marginalized. I was one of those that that, that someone you know gave uh, less credit to because twenty years ago, or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, I've been arrested a couple times, but I mean, that was the first time. Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I was 18. I'm 38 now, but yeah, I was I was that person um, who who was arrested, thrown in jail, and and, and facing a you know pretty long sentence, but but got probation instead. So you know, I myself I had a second chance, um, and I received mentorship from a um, a chef who who really taught me the, uh, the fundamentals of this business at the highest level. So uh, I went from being um you know discounted and and, and marginalized to uh, 
someone who was empowered and, and, and able to do uh, what I, I wanted to do. For so many people, that you know, that one uh, that one slip up isn't enough. It takes more than that. So why did that compel you to change everything? Yeah. What what made the change in you? I just uh, for me it was it was how um, you know how it felt to lose freedom. I don't, I don't think you, you you know what freedom is until you lose it, and I, I didn't like that feeling for the short time I was I was incarcerated. You know, no more than a week. It wasn't it wasn't a long sentence. Um, but also, I, I really found that um, I found something for me. I, mean, I, I was this this restaurant business. It was being in the kitchens. It was being in the dining room. It was um, you know it was, it was learning that I could I was good at something, but I also liked to do what I did. Yeah. So, you know, many people now have heard the story of Edwin's. I mean, you've gotten so much publicity, it's, uh, it, it, and it's quite the success story. But I think still, there's many that think of it as offering employment to ex-cons, but there's really much more here, and your vision was much larger than that. Can you speak yeah. to that? Yeah, the idea, again, as you, as you open the show with, is, uh, you know, every human being, regardless of their past, has the right to a fair and equal future. And uh, just to get in front of um, society's lens, to show that you know someone coming home from prison, you know, returning citizen is is, is if not as good, uh, potentially better than that is someone who, who doesn't have that perspective. So the idea was to, to be able to do that was through through an industry that I knew you know the best, right? I, mean, I, I worked the best place in the world, and I, I know that it, it's possible to um, take something and elevate it so that when when someone's demonstrating they can do this successfully, they're no longer looked at as, as half or as marginal, right? they're, they're looked at as equal. Um, so the idea is to really just spearhead this this, uh, this mission of equality through a skill that, that, that I know and the team around around me knows quite well and, and, um, and showing the world that, hey, just because someone came out of prison doesn't mean they cannot. Just because someone came out of prison doesn't mean they are not as good. Uh, just because someone came out of prison they're unemployable, and so we've kind of turned turn the tables on that. And that's that's really a long-term vision. But to do that, you have to. There's some acute needs that that, that have to be served. I mean, housing is one of them, right? That was that was one of the big changes that, that that was made here after year one was building our own housing, our own dorm rooms. You know, I always knew this would be the day, but it came a lot sooner than I thought. And then we also had a community who rose to the occasion when asked. So, you know, housing's provided here. So this is exclusive housing for the Edwin team members? Students, yeah, we have graduate housing that, that alumni will have to pay to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, on campus is also a fitness center, a library, and a test, test kitchen. So you can, you know, kind of read, practice, play, study, whatever. We have basketball courts. So it's a, it's a, a safe place to learn and to live, coupled by, you know, this opportunity at the higher level. Um, we also provide case management. We provide, you know, any any barrier that needs to be knocked down, we're, we're looking for help with attorneys, psychologists, um, you know, getting, getting kids back and then so, or just to be able to see them again, having custody, you know, full custody. Uh, so these are free services that are, free. that are provided for somebody as they come out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We're also in 13 prisons. You know, we have culinary clubs in 13 different joints across Ohio. Uh, where I started teaching in Grafton in 2011, and that still continues today hands-on. So we're hitting there, and the most recent opening of Serenity in Medina, that was a restaurant that, that, um, that was opened in, um, well, officially opened in March, but I've been working with them since October. That's a restaurant for people in recovery. Mm-hmm. So, right, that's outstanding. Hard, we're hitting hard, and the butcher shop's under construction. So we do a lot more than just, yeah, we're just more than a restaurant. We're, we, we try to make an impact and, and uh, 
you know, combat some of those barriers. So uh, the butcher shop, as long as you mention sure. that, let's let's jump into that. What's the butcher shop all about? Um, the butcher shop is just, you know, again, this is another way to increase our students' skill level. Right? You're going to be able to learn the skill of butchery in an ecosystem. You're mm-hmm. surrounded by whole, you know, carcasses of meat. You're working with making terrines and curing and aging and smoking. So just taking that level of education up an entire notch or two. Um, it's also a way to help us sustain this enterprise where we pay you to go through, right? We pay people to come to, you know, class here, essentially. And um, the housing, you know, there's no charge for that. Utilities would be the only charge for someone on the dorms. Um, but we got to find ways to offset this. So if we run a stronger bottom line with a more of a for-profit entity, you know, that's the idea behind it, we can start to offset costs. And, and, and also importantly, as all, everything else, is we're, we're, we're building this in a neighborhood that deserves um, great food for great price. So the butcher shop is in Buckeye, right next to the campus. Hmm. So that's really the idea behind the butcher shop. So take me through the process. One of your candidates, they're, they're released from prison, uh, they apply and they're accepted. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Yeah, I mean, sometimes just to go, go back on that chain, sometimes, like I said, with those culinary clubs, we're reaching people before they come out of prison. And that's very important. Good point. Let's let's back up. Yeah. Let's start at the very sure. beginning with the culinary clubs. Describe those sure. for me, if you if you could. Yeah, the culinary club. So the um, the clubs are in are in thirteen different prisons. It's where we teach two inmates to lead another class of twenty five inmates. So what we're trying to do is really empower the the men and women who are in um, incarcerated, the ability to educate and teach one another, not depending on state, uh, federal, whoever else. You know, you know someone has to depend on for education. We're looking to teach two people who can then teach 25 more people who can then teach you know how many more people right and so the idea is to really keep uh, spreading that that knowledge in the clubs but the part of the club I mean, is 26 weeks if you make it through that you also you know have a direct pass here when you do get released so it could be part of your post-release plan um you know that, that's how the clubs work but it also spreads this idea this message this hope um, this dialogue that hey there's someone out there that's fighting there's something out there if you choose to so your life's not over when you leave um, so if someone comes to us right from from a prison uh, you know we'll, we'll walk you through the steps you register over at passages over on 36th and perkins just fill out a form Boop, you're on the list uh, passages collects all that and sends it to us and we start to interview okay? so long as you don't think this is a job or you're not coming in on sober uh, i mean you you have an opportunity and then three weeks later you you finish the boot camp we call it it's you know going through culinary math gastronomy menu knowledge serve safe um, you know, it's, it's requiring you to get you know an id a bank account who makes sure you're connected with you know medical coverage the idea is this three weeks is to eliminate those who don't really want to you know put the effort in to you know keeping this this small and tight group who's who's hungry and in the process eliminate a lot of life's barriers for this population yeah the idea the idea is you know build a more powerful yes and we have to do that with velocity it's the only way to build a more powerful yes with velocity so you have to have a lot of little wins in a short period of time that way when temptation arises someone can say hey i'm winning i'm on my path i'm getting to where i need to go so i'm going to say no to this right now that's a big part of um the recipe of success here so um in the documentary it uh, knife skills it you you kind of outline the number of people that you got into the funnel. Yep. Uh, One hundred and twenty, mm-hmm. and by the time you're opening and a little bit after opening, you end up with thirty-five people, I believe it is, that graduated right there, yep. in that. Yep. So those numbers, where where do they stand today in terms of percentages? And yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's not the same, but, but virtually the same. We have about 
so, you know, half the people who, who apply won't make it through the first three weeks. It's consistent in every class. Half the people who do not, they say, hey, I'm not ready for this. Um, I thought that this would be something easier. I'm not, I'm just, this is not for me. They're always welcome to come back, but 50% leave those first two weeks. Even if we help you out with transportation, housing, um, child care, someone's desire is like, hey, I can't, I don't want to, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to have a certain aptitude for this, so I, I would think, and, and passion, and that's kind of what came yeah. through, I, I think, on the documentary. Sure. Your people really kind of have a passion for this, don't they? They do. I would yeah. say hey, you have to, yeah. because after that 50% that gets through the first three weeks, you are, well, yeah, we'll then lose another 10 or 15%, so if you have 100, it's 50, it's almost, almost the same as when we first opened. Things are tighter now. You know, in terms of organization, how mm, the curriculum sure. is taught, I think it's a lot more fluid, but it's not so far off of that number. Okay. So you're graduates. So it takes six months to graduate. And then at that point, you've got, when you first started things, things up, you probably had to knock on a lot of doors to get these people interviewed and get them considered. And now that's probably reversed entirely, hasn't it? Sure, sure. At the beginning, there wasn't too much difficulty with job placement. It was just it was an unknown that you know maybe restaurateurs didn't have. They didn't know who we were. Oh, what is this about? You know, the higher level ones knew exactly what we were doing, but the lower, you know, middle middle range restaurants were still unfamiliar. Yeah, but now that this has become become more mainstream in the public, we've, we we so we do so in the, in the restaurants. So now there's a list of about 54 jobs waiting to hire, and. Um, you know, that demand, we can't keep up with that demand, nor are we trying to. We just want to make sure everyone that comes through here is getting what they want and what they need out of the program. And we're, you know, doing that efficiently and correctly, and then take the next step, take the next step, and so on. So, and here's a stat that, that really just blows me away and I find even more impressive, and that is recidivism. Mm -hmm. So, what in, in Ohio, I think our rate of recidivism is somewhere around 60%, isn't it? In Ohio, about 28%. Nationally, you're over 40%. That number, depending on who you ask, changes. But yeah, I'd say one in two in Ohio, you're about one in three go back within three years. And now, with the evolution of your program, yours is where? About 1%. 1%. That's just incredible. You give a fair and equal opportunity, you support it, you give an elite skill at the level of it will always be in demand. Um, you build confidence, esteem, uh, and you, you have a network. I, I don't know why it's, I mean, maybe that's high. Maybe we should be doing less. Hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> in any case, it's a very impressive start, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, Edwin's has been showcased, again, we talked about this earlier, but it's been showcased on the Oscar-nominated uh, documentary Knife Skills mm -hmm. and received recognition from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, the list goes on and on. Yeah. What is your proudest accomplishment? Proudest one? I don't know. Certainly not any of the awards that we've received. I don't think that, that that's like, I don't know. I usually put them in the drawer down there. The awards don't get, get shown out here. Um, I don't know. I don't have to really think about that. People usually ask, what's your best success story? Everyone's a success. I mean, you look at every success story, and I just think there's so much more to do. I can't really think about one moment I can just hang my hat on. Maybe when I'm all done with this, you know, whatever, whatever that becomes. And you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm in the foxhole right now. I mean, I'm just fighting. My head's buried. I don't, I don't look back at him. Just keep looking forward. Fair enough. I, I don't, I, let me let me think about that. Maybe at the end of the end of the show. I, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe because it was recent. 
Um, I got asked to take the, to make uh, to be the commencement speaker at the, uh, the commencement speaker at the CIA, the, my alma mater, the Culinary Institute of America. So I gave the commencement address, and I haven't been back in 12 years. And I forgot how grand the school was, and how many, you know, how much pride was there. There's you know 72 graduates all in their toques. It was a very very emotional day for me to reconnect and see the school and to see the passion and everyone what they're doing. That was a very proud moment, I'd say. Awesome. So over the years, I'm sure you've had countless success stories where you've changed the course of someone's life to the extent that they couldn't even comprehend that. So, you know, is there a story or perhaps a couple of them that stand out in your mind that you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. You know, 250 plus grads. Um, there's a lot. Uh, it really, I think in general, it's everyone's just, you know, overcome amazing odds. Whether it's um, you know being in a tight spot, uh, you know living through poverty, you know, traveling a long distance, I got some older students who have made it through the program, and I've had some younger ones make it through the program. You know, if I had to take a look and just say, listen, the youngest person who made it through this program was a very proud story. You know, uh, you know having to deal with what life you know is on the streets to come in here to um, not succumb to any sort of you know, peer pressure that, hey, you're, you're getting educated, you're doing something more. That's very proud to see, you know, see him make it through the program and, and get a job and stay in that job, and that was good. Um, I think we've had some, some great stories with, um, you know, one guy just opened up a restaurant on 90th and Bessemer. It's good to, good to see graduates open a place. It's, I mean, that's a great moment. But like I said, I just, I'm just in the fight right now. I don't really look at it. It's really hard to pinpoint one person just to see every day, every day, the odds, the odds that are overcome. The courage that's demonstrated every day is a win, and it's, it's it's proud. So I can't choose just one. I want to go back once again to that sure. documentary. Yeah. I watched it a couple of times, and I I, I thought it was terrific. Um, so there's one point in it though that you spoke directly to your young son, sure. Leo. Yeah, Leo. It's a very emotional time. Leo, this is your dad. How's it going? There's um, there's a couple of things I want to say to you. <clears throat> so. Your, your name is um, Brandon Leonard Krastowski. And Leonard is um, my grandfather's name. Not only his name, but also uh, the patron saint of prisoners. So, so you got a bigger responsibility. Your father, that's me, inside, uh, I often feel ugly and, 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 um, and uh, not, not good. And when I work in a restaurant, I can put on a suit and feel great. Give me the backstory. Tell us about that. The backstory. I told I told the filmmaker not to use it. He told me he was going to mess with me on it. So that was the backstory. <laughs> the idea was, uh, I was asked to give the um, yeah the graduation speech at university schools. Now, I wasn't familiar with university schools. Steve Murray, the headmaster, asked me to speak. I just remember showing up. You know, there's a lot of nice cars in this parking lot. And having the sense that it was a very special day, that's like your normal day, you know, graduate, it was a very special day, so I just kind of sat back in the chair, I didn't have a speech written, I never write a speech, I just kind of sit back, get climate and, and understand. And, really? Um, Can I jump in? Yeah. For TEDx, you, you, that, that was off the cuff? Yeah. Wow. Wow. The one I gave at the city club. That was really impressive. Well, thank you. you know, five one, years ago. Yeah. yeah that, that was off your the cuff. Yeah. That's where I go. I, I, you just got to be comfortable. I don't have television, so I don't, my mind's not blurred by things coming at me constantly. I just stay calm and just let my, let my heart and mind communicate and go. 
But the, the city club speech I studied very hard for. I didn't use notes for it. It was, it was 25 minutes solid speech. I studied my ass off for that one. That one I really prepared hard for. But yeah, so I was sitting back in the car, just kind of watching these, these students go up there and talk, looking at the crowd, looking at the parents, you know, remembering that parking lot. And I just went to these kids and I told them, you know, you don't have to go to college. Which at U.S. schools is kind of like, you don't say that at U.S. schools. And I, and I remember just kind of, I don't want to say zoning out, but um, I just had a particular viewpoint, which was these kids in these chairs that were in, in their gowns. And I kept telling them, hey, you don't have to go to college. And you're going to make a mistake. It's going to happen. And inevitably, you're going to screw up. And, um, and when it happens, it's life and you have to overcome it. And at the end of the speech, I mean, these kids went to their feet. I mean, still, I get emotional today. I mean, just, just clapping and going crazy. I looked at Murray. I said, Murray, you put these kids up to him. He goes, you know, these kids do what they want. And the year prior, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, who was an alum, gave the, the, the speech. Not, not even nearly an ounce of that reception that he received. Uh-huh. So it, it touched the kids. Even the people coming to this day talk about that speech. I mean, the parents come, hey, you remember the students come back. They say, hey, you gave me that speech. So it was a very powerful speech. And... Um, I wanted my son to hear that, and I wanted to communicate this to him. And so Tom was in town. At that point, he was just flying every every couple of weekends. Mm-hmm. And Leo, at this time, is how just, old? Just born. Yeah, just born. Just born. He's maybe two, three weeks. Could have been more. And I told him, I said, "Hey, can we can we can we capture? I want to say something to my son because I gave this great. I mean, I gave a great speech. Tom. I would I didn't downplay. I gave a great speech. I, and I, he wasn't there, obviously. I want him to capture that. So I was trying to give that the essence of that speech to him. And then, you know, with through editing and everything else, he, um, you know, it was what it was. But, yeah, it was a very, very powerful moment. Mm. Um, Good for you. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, that's the whole backstory of the speech. Very long backstory. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, no. It's never, there's always a, an iceberg tip, right? Yep. Yep. So, Brandon, what do you want other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to take away from this podcast? Well, more importantly, to take away from your work and your mission? Sure. I mean, just looking, uh, you know, through a lens of equality that, um, you know, perspective is very powerful. Uh, perspective is very powerful. Uh, uh, a man who's made a mistake or a woman who holds a perspective that a righteous man can't hold. And, um, I don't know if it's a Babylonian uh, saying or philosophy. Uh, when a pot breaks, have you ever broke a pot or a dish? Plenty. You, you kind of put it together with gold in the cracks. Look how beautiful that bowl or pot is now, right? And so that's another expression. When things happen, the beauty that you can you can pull from that perspective is very very powerful, and, and my message would be that you know what society would maybe consider broken or discounted or, or um, you know inept is is in fact something that could be very powerful and golden and beautiful. That if you know your business and you understand enough about humans and what they can do, anything, you as an entrepreneur, you as a business person, or, or a boss can bridge those two worlds and make them you know, put wings and fly. And that, that, that will help everything, not just that human being, not just that person's family or community, but your bottom line, your business, you name it. So it's, it's not a, it's multiple dimensions that this, this, this serves if you prescribe this philosophy of there's power and perspective. It could be prison, you could be a veteran, it could be homelessness, it could be a number of things, but that's, that's the power. And harnessed, uh, amazing things can happen. So you've figured out a way to leverage the culinary arts, I'll call it, yep. to give people a second chance. Uh-huh. And you're, you've become adroit, I'll call it, at really taking those, whittling it down to those that it's their passion and making it work. Yeah. So there's got to be other people in other endeavors 
that are you know very good, very skilled at what they do, that could potentially do the same thing. Bingo. What coaching would you and how would you advise them for those that would be interested in taking up such a cause? Yeah, you know, um, I ran, ran for mayor last year. This is kind of the drum that, that we beat in the trail. Mm -hmm. This is applicable for any inter industry. Um, and the recommendation is always do something in your business that you know. Don't be an accountant trying to open a restaurant. Don't be a restaurant person trying to open an accounting firm, right? Do something in your business that you know very well. So you know the extremities in which you can bend somebody before they break. Know that pipeline and those, those, those pitfalls so well that when someone comes across them, you can, you can help them through them. So my first message of advice would be do something that you know very well that you're successful in so you can then, in fact, teach it to the same level of success to others. That's the first hurdle people struggle with. What do I do? What do you do? You're great at putting in pools. You open up a company that does this for pools and do it better than anyone else, and there you go. That's the first is finding your niche, and it's already there in front of you. It's within you. The second is don't overcomplicate this. I, mean, I always got five steps for people what to do and how to do it. It's you know, make sure you write a business plan. Put it down, make it vulnerable, incorporate, make it real in terms of space, you know, get a team that, that can execute it, market and start doing it yourself. And then you can go and sell this, this idea, whether it's to foundations or to investors. But you just gotta just do it. Shoot, aim, fire. I mean, that's kind of the approach, you know. That's the approach. So what uh, final comments would you have for our listeners? Yeah. Um I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I mean, I, I want to stress that this is it always. It takes a team to make this mission work. It was an idea. It was. Uh, it took ten years to get off the ground. So if you're if you're listening and want to try things similar to this, give yourself a decade. Maybe you can do it in less time. But understand, it takes time. If you follow your moral compass, you'll get there. Um, just keep trusting your instincts. Because, you know, your body recognizes stuff before your mind does. And just don't overthink. Just do. You know, you know right. You know wrong. And don't let anyone else society etc tell you otherwise and with that sort of spirit if you have the courage to follow that spirit you can you can do anything right you can build anything you can do anything so i guess there's lessons that we've already been told throughout our lifetimes but um, sometimes don't see in flesh uh, in, in a lifetime you hear about the tales of this and that but you know that's all we do here we just do the right thing every day we have the courage to do it and we don't we don't tolerate excuses for you know, for, for um, you know a bad a bad hand you've been dealt. We just say we're going to get you to where you want to be. And let's go. There was one more area that I wanted yeah. to probe before I sure. let you go, yeah. and that was what's next. What's next? We talked about the the butcher shop, yeah. but other than that, what's on the horizon? What's next for you, Brandon? Yeah, it's just uh, continue to drive this this wedge deeper uh, in society. Um, so at the top of the show, we're looked at as marginalized individuals. We're looked at as discounted. Uh, you know, people come in out of prison or uh, out of incarceration or uh, you know, out of a criminal past. And we have to be twice as good to be, to be looked at as equal. So the goal is to continue to build the best culinary school in the country that's sustainable and, 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 and works. So you know, the butcher shop is one step. Then it'll be a bakery, then a fish shop, and so on. So we take every lesson, break it into a microclimate that... that is, is feeding a community that needs it, uh, it deserves it, and then kicking a profit over to this side that can help do you know education for free, and then raise the, the level of visibility for what we do, and then make it completely sustainable without any fundraising one day. Hmm. I mean, we don't take any state or federal money. 
Uh, this is all smart business, individuals, and a few foundations. And you're a 501c3, so donations from others out yeah, there. Absolutely. Well, once again, Brandon, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We've been visiting today with Brandon Krastowski, who is on a mission to change the face of reentry in the United States. He founded Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute in his belief that every human being, regardless of their past, has a right to a fair and equal future is what drove his creation and what drives him day in and day out. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.